Off top, I don't say much about this individual, but today I'll make an exception. Pablo Torre is a despicable human being. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. Welcome to the Dominique Fox Surf Show. We got to start a food, a food, a feud. Mm-hmm. We need to. That's the that's the currency in the biz right now. Got to get somebody on here and just burn everybody up. Anyway, my man Charlie's here, and everyone's favorite, Mina Kimes, is in the building. Who should I fight with, Mina? Maybe we should have a a podcast feud between our two podcasts, and we can both benefit from it. Don't think that would yeah, be I mean, as, as a, frankly. Yeah, as we're showing to- up on each other's show each week, we're gonna feud when we're not on there. Uh. You you gotta you gotta pick wisely. Uh, our colleague Stephen A. Smith, I think, um, probably picked the. Uh, oh, I don't want to get back into this, but it was yeah, it was an yeah, easy yeah, choice. Yeah. I'll just say that Peace and it love. was an easy choice. <laughs> yeah, close it out with uh, that dude's cane. Peace and love. I love Stephen A. He's so much fun. Uh anyway, speaking of kings of their industries. Mm-hmm. We're on to Bill Belichick. Should we, should we talk about it? Do it. Should we talk? I, I want to spin this forward because I think that we're, you'll be listening to this on Friday. You've probably heard a lot of retrospectives about everything Bill Belichick's accomplished. But I think that there is more for him to potentially accomplish after the way that things have gone since 2018 when Tom Brady left, which it's been reported he wants to keep coaching and he probably will keep coaching. What do you guys think is the best landing spot for Bill Belichick? And on the other side, mm. which organization should want him the most? Whew. So the I, the best landing spot, you all, I feel like this is this is this ground's been tread quite a bit. You go to the quarterback, Justin Herbert's best landing spot. If you want complete control and complete power, which I think Bill Belichick does want, that may not that that might be the place where you can get that also. But I also think that if you Look at Washington. It's not as bad as people think. If you're to the complete control and the flexibility and an early draft pick for a quarterback that could be good, and then there's the the potential that is feels really unrealistic right now, but that Eagles job, it's mm-hmm. not actually open. But he has a quarterback. Ding, he ding, has ding. a front office man. I know Charlie's going to get there eventually. Sorry, Mina. I, I – Undercut Charlie before he got there. <laughs> He's shimmying in his hoodie right now. That you have a good guy personnel. You have a quarterback, and their biggest issue right now is figuring out defense. And that's one thing Bill Belichick has has um, remained a great defensive coach, no matter what happens with injuries to the talent around him. Charlie Loki has like the wildest takes <laughs> in our industry. By the way, some of the takes he sends me, like so. Um, uh, behind the curtain charlie uh helps run my youtube uh, and does great work but he'll send me takes like you we should do a video on this and i'm like charlie i if i say this this will be a thing like that, you can't just that's the point of youtube to be a thing <laughs> I know, a thing. i've tried i've tried to be a nerd um Okay. Anyways, uh, we'll get to his take. Uh, I do. I don't share it, but uh, in this regard, Uh, I think I agree with you. I think the two best jobs right now are the Chargers and the Commanders, but they're wildly different jobs for all the reasons you outlined. I think the one that makes the more more sense between the two for Belichick would be the Chargers. Uh, I like him better as someone who can come in, fix the defense. Not a lot of resources to do so. The offense uh, is not the problem, although I think there's some personnel issues on that side of the ball. You have the quarterback, whereas commanders, to your point, that's a complete 
rebuild. That's a blank slate. It's a really appealing mm-hmm. job for that reason, especially with that number two pick. All the cap, they have the most cap space in the NFL right now. But that feels like a multi-year project as well. And I think for Belichick, it makes sense to go to a team where he can, you know, keep winning games now. Um, I will, I will say one more thing. I, as we think through these jobs and what makes them attractive and which one might be appealing to Belichick, to me, it makes it even more glaring and dubious that the Bears mm-hmm. didn't move on. Because if they did, I would say that's the best job of both of these, of any team, uh, because you have that defense that has been fixed. Granted, Iberflus is part of the reason why, but you have good players. Offensively, you have you know not just the first overall pick, which I think they're going to spend on the quarterback, but resources to continue improving the offense as well. That's a good team, and they're sticking with the coach. I don't know we if don't that's what to, I would we do. We don't have personally. to talk about Carolina because it's not a job that is anywhere close to the value of Andy's job, but I think putting Atlanta on the mm-hmm. table is worth considering. And, and talking about saving a bunch because, as you guys all know, he retired too. I, one of the things about saving that uh, – and talking about Monty, he and I both just kind of came to the conclusion that saving was really self-aware. Mm-hmm. And – I'm not sure that Nick's, that uh, that Bill Belichick is that self-aware. So the argument for why he should go to the Eagles requires him to have a self-awareness that I don't think he has. But the Falcons, I think, is a situation. And again, this is a long shot because I think Belichick cares a bit about the prestige and the history of the organizations and all that stuff, even though he created the history in uh, New England. But down there, you got a lot of offensive talent, a defense that, again, has gotten better and is talented enough to build around. And you got what Belichick loves more than anything. And this is where the self-awareness point comes into it. That division is dookie. And Belichick loves a dookie div. Loves a dookie div. Oh, he feasts on a dookie div. Um, Mina, one of the things I thought about the Bears job, can you imagine how he would blow those picks? Drafting like (laughs) all those picks that he has. Oh my, it would be Uh, glorious to see him drafting lacrosse players in the third (laughs) round for Caleb Williams to throw to. Well, it it sounds, it sounds like he's willing to not be the GM. At least that's the reporting we've got out of New England. But yeah, it is... uh, yeah, I mean, and the court, like I, I say like, oh, the first overall pick, it's so easy, but it's not easy. The quarterback, I, I think it's going to be debated really seriously between now and the draft between not just the top two, but top three guys, Williams, uh, Drake May and mm-hmm. and Jaden Daniels. So uh, there is potential to mess that up. But I just think, I, I mean, God, that's such a they're in such a great position. The top two right now. Um, coaches available right now, we would say is Harbaugh and Bill Belichick, right? Like Vrabel. Oh, I think, it's, yeah, I think yeah. it's a legitimate top three. Okay, well, Vrabel, well, let's leave Vrabel out for a second. We'll get to him eventually. But I'm thinking Harbaugh and Belichick are the top two available. This is a question of how bad you want to win. Because I mean, if you're the owner of a team, both of those are going to make you miserable. They are going to wear you the hell out. And do you want to put up with that for a chance to win the Super Bowl? I think the answer is always yes. I really wish that one of them would go work for David Tepper. Because I just would like to see somebody – in. Someone who is just as much of a jerk as David Tepper working. Like the reports out of uh, New England over the years have been outraged to the point where he won't speak to the damn owner of the team as he walks through the hall. You won't even give him a head nod. You won't even say hello. Like he seems like a miserable person to be around, but he wins enough that it's worth it. I kind of like him. He's my Shut type up. of guy. No, no, I'm no. friends with you. You're, <laughs> I am the sweetest guy you ever met. Um, Harbaugh, you like Harbaugh. You don't like Belichick. I must win. 
<laughs> oh god. Uh, maybe we can do, we, we can drop in the sound. I mean, there's a clip of him from when he was a, a quarterbacks coach at the University of San Diego, and he's talking to high school kids in a like a local gymnasium, and he has the old school overhead projector, and Harbaugh punches the projector so hard because he's saying as a quarterback, "I must win, I must win," <laughs> and it's to me, it's like the the best Harbaugh moment. But uh, I do have to ask you, Mina, gosh. if let's just say so this many is a total moments. hypothetical because I think this is indicative of how. Okay you view Bill Belichick's long-term coaching prospects. If you opened up your phone, you're like, holy shit, I have a notification. Adam Schefter has just tweeted that Bill Belichick is the coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Your reaction would be what? Thrilled. I'd be thrilled. Yeah. And I, I, I think there are people who might say, whoa, 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 don't you want to go with like a somebody who is there? Dan Quinn mm-hmm. is the leading candidate or one of the young, brilliant offensive mind, Ben Johnson or defensive mind, Mike McDonald. But the problem with the Seattle Seahawks over the last six years has been the defense. It's been really bad. And whatever you think about Bill Belichick and the offense and the drafts, that dude can mm-hmm. coach a defense. Uh, that defense has continued. Dominic, even despite, like, I don't think, we think about them anymore this year because they were so irrelevant. The defense was still good despite mm-hmm. the injuries. It still finished at the top 10, top five. If you look at the second half of the season defense, that dude has not lost that ability. And I think just given the issues in Seattle, the fact that the, I do believe there's still talent there, bringing in a brilliant defense of mine like him yeah, would the be a great been choice. Great, keeping them in games when their offense mm-hmm. was giving up touchdowns against them. They've been impressive, which it baffles my mind why – Someone who understands how to stop offenses as well as Bill Belichick can't figure out how to attack defenses. It's a whole nother conversation and confusing thing, but he knows what's most challenging to stop. He knows what other teams aren't, uh, but maybe it's just about time and bandwidth to be able to devote to it because I find it hard to believe that someone who's been around football as long as him and understands the ins and outs of football as well as he does, and particularly because the best offenses are, like we look at these uh, Shanahan schemes, those offenses are at their best when they understand the rules of the defense that they are forcing them to be in conflict. So that's a whole nother question why they can't figure it out, figure out why he can't figure out how to put together an offense that attacks people properly. And it's a tricky one, right? Because it's hard to um, divorce that from, well, how bad the personnel was and how bad the offensive personnel has been for quite some time. Um, which, of course, is something I think more than anything that Belichick Oof. deserves criticism for and, and skepticism is his ability to mm-hmm. evaluate offensive personnel. That's the single biggest fault. Well, also, you could argue to evaluate offensive coaches, which is, I keep saying, the biggest mistake of his career. But um, yeah, it, 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 I, mean, I, I will say, like, you know, the Patriots' offense with Belichick and McDaniels for years was inventive. They were ahead of the league. A lot of the things, you think back mm-hmm. to 2007. Yeah. But it feels like that is an area in which he has fallen behind. So wherever he goes, assuming he stays in the NFL, that to me is going to be very key. Does he retain an offense coordinator? Who does he hire? I would want, if I was an organization, I would want to see him work with someone he hasn't yeah. worked with before because I think that is another huge problem with mm-hmm. the this version yeah, of the I Patriots. agree with you. The, um... <laughs> The insular nature of his coaching staff, I do think that it stops them from growing a little bit. Your point about them being flexible, uh, flexibly minded, at least offensively early in this. Like, I wonder if it just if they just guess wrong. So, like, I think about and this is another offseason project that you and I can dive into along with our interior linebacker shift project that we've been talking about for for months now. Um, but. 
I've come to think that the 49ers and the Patriots have always kind of not gone into a season with a philosophy as much as they've observed the entire league and realized, oh, this is where the the blue the blue sky is, or this is where the open pasture is. This is what we're going to do because no one's doing this, and it's worked for them up into a point. And like you mentioned, the 07, when they started to go to double tight end and attacking people that way, that was ingenious. Um, finding the, the slot was a thing that people weren't doing. Oh, Randy Moss is available on the cheap. All right, we'll shift. Like, that's always been smart, and we've, we've chronicled it on the defensive side too, but it wasn't clear to me what the opportunity was he was rotating or he was pivoting towards it's like hey defensive coaches are underappreciated so we're gonna put them on offense like that was the only thing that seemed like somewhat different and everything else just kind of so yeah I, I don't know it's not a question it's not necessarily something that you have to respond to it just I find it interesting that he's always been able to find that open space and right now he is not hmm. Matt Patricia will be available this yeah offseason. nobody wants him it's a joke any more on Belichick I love when it's a joke. You have to say it's a joke. That's yeah, the best well, kind of jokes. That's, that's that's like three quarters of my jokes. Um, but by the way, my take that I had sent to Mina was that the Chiefs two years ago should have traded Travis Kelsey and not Tyreek Kill. Stand by it. Wow. What did I Charlie, write? Charlie. Dot dot dot. <laughs> then another text that was just another ellipsis. Then just that's a terrible take. <laughs> You you really shoot uh, from the hip. I do appreciate this is, that. Uh, you know, uh, some of the best ideas are born from the worst ideas, um, which leads us to our next topic, which is actually about the Chiefs. But okay, we are going into Super Wild Card Weekend, and the Chiefs and the Eagles are playing. Earlier in the season, it could have seemed like neither of these teams were playing. Neither of these teams would be, both these teams would be Super Bowl favorites. They'd have buys, but they have had really tumultuous seasons for different reasons. Um, which Super Bowl team from last year do you think is more likely to be one and done this weekend? The Chiefs of the page or Chiefs of the Eagles? Wow, it's an easy question, right? Uh, I guess the interest is in the elaboration, but it seems obvious to me that the Eagles are the ones that are more likely, even though they're going up against an opponent that I think no one thought was going to be here. The Eagles seem broken, man. They just seem a mess. They seem broken on both sides of the ball. Um, and they have this specter of even though it's just crazy people like Charlie talking about it, like there is also looming over this organization that there could be a hot seat situation for the coach. They just seem like they're in a much worse situation than the um, Dolphins, even though they're headed into zero degree Kansas City. I like the way this is set up because I upset Charlie, then I pass the mic to Mina, and Charlie has to sit there and, and simmer in his disappointment. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I th it, it is interesting because I still think the Dolphins are tougher mm -hmm. competition than the Bucks. but even with the state of their injuries, but the Eagles just look so bad. And like, it's, I, I was trying to think of like what the defense could be better at and they're bad at everything. Yeah. The, the the only thing that I think that they, that could show up in the playoffs is if the pass rush yeah. uh, looks better because that's where the investment is and it looked better earlier in the season. Maybe you get more out of Carter and Davis than you have in the second half of the year. Maybe um, you know Reddick gets home more, but I there's just it's a common it's it's personnel, it's execution, 
it's coaching lately. There's some very questionable decisions with um, coverages. And it's really hard for me to envision them turning it around. I could envision, I think, the offense, I don't know, like running the ball better. I mean, the last time they, they played Tampa back in week three, they did run all over them. The Bucks have a pretty good run defense, though. So that could be challenging. Um, I could see, I know A.J. Brown's a little banged up, but um, the Bucks are vulnerable to number one ride receivers and go balls. So maybe Jalen hits on a few of those. So, you know, I could see them pulling it out that way, but that that defense is just, it feels They've lost five repair. of their last six, and <laughs> not even to good teams. Like, they, they were supposed to end the season on a Giants-Cardinals-Giants easy flume to success. Instead, they uh, barely beat the Giants once and then lost to them and lost to the Cardinals. Lost to the Seahawks before that. Got destroyed by Dallas before that and destroyed by San Francisco before that. That's a bad shape to be in. And uh, to go back to the other game, at least the Chiefs are good at something. The Chiefs, like, you could yeah. make an, a reasonable argument if you wanted to make a long shot bet that the Chiefs could win the AFC because you have Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. They're good still. And you got a defense that's Is really Travis good. Kelsey that good still? Um, Yes. I think the combination of Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. I don't know that you drop Travis Kelsey on any other team, but I do think that the continuity that they've built and – and particularly in the red zone, is something that is hugely valuable mm -hmm. when those four points, that four-point swing from kicking field goals to scoring touchdowns, if you have a player that increases your probability of scoring down there and, and um, when you only got 10 possessions, yeah, he's good. Okay, so I completely agree with both of you. I will not give the crazy take, but <laughs> I do want to discuss what could happen for the Chiefs to lose to play devil's advocate. Okay, The weather's going to be bad. Obviously, the Dolphins are banged up, but let's just imagine that Tiger Kill gets loose for a play, Jalen Wild gets loose for a play, and there's a situation where the Dolphins have 21 points and the Chiefs have like seven. Do you actually think that offense is capable of coming back where they how they've played all the, all year? It's tricky, but this Dolphins defense, I mean, Charlie. They're down to their fourth pass. They brought yeah. in Justin Houston. How old is Justin Houston? He's How actually probably age? younger than I think he is. In my, <laughs> in my mind, he's like 50, but he's he's not actually 50. He's football 50. Um, they are yeah. just so up against it on that side of the ball. I mean, it's Jalen Ramsey is like the, the Cheeto meme holding the door <laughs> right now. Like he, you could put him on rice, I guess. But then, you know, Kelsey, I think will have some opportunities, especially they can attack the linebacker position. I know this Chiefs offense stinks. I know that they've been stinking for a while, but I believe in their ability to move on, move the ball against this defense. Because yeah, so of how the first part of your scenario seems really, really unrealistic, but let's accept that it happens because it can happen. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. I, I'm just saying. It, uh, first of all, getting there is a hard place to get to for me, but let's get there for the audience. It happened. We're it's there a, for the audience. He uh, wants to know they, if the Chiefs' offense can they, can lead a comeback. They fumble. They fumble a punt return. Okay, we're good. We're down twenty-one nothing. Yeah. Tua throws a screen pass, yeah. and Tyreek Kill does all the work. The real. Um, one of the things that changes quarterbacks' uh, output or production more than anything is pressure. They can't get no pressure. Yeah. And so if no, you have, no Jalen Phillips, yeah, no Bradley Chubb. Right. If you have a court, no, no Gink. Oh, they lost the Gink. The that gink. Yes, they lost the Gink. Uh, pass rushing with the locks. Um, I could see Patrick Mahomes if you give him the time. And I know these receivers can't catch. Mm -hmm. He might have to hit them 
three or four times before they catch it, but he's going to be able to do it. And so I do think that I could see him putting together a comeback against them. It seems unlikely against most teams, but if you're not going to get pressure on any quarterback, the quarterback, like Jared Goff is among the best quarterbacks in the league when there's no pressure on him. What about Patrick Mahomes with no pressure? All the time that he can buy, sooner or later, Kadarius Toney is going to get a ball caught in his face mask and cross the goal line. Oh my God. I played this clip after this what? weekend. You just jinxed them by saying Kadarius Toney is going to be scoring a touchdown. <laughs> I didn't jinx him. I said ball caught in his face mask. That unjinxed the jinx. Uh, you know what I think is really interesting, Dominique? I talked about this a little bit on my podcast with Bill, is how Vic Fangio approaches the pressure question. Because last week against um, the Bills, he blitzed Allen a fair amount. This is not a defense that blitzes a lot, but obviously desperate times call for desperate measures. They zero blitz Josh Allen, and it actually kind of worked. Uh, but... I think with the Chiefs, it, it's risky not just because Mahomes has been such a blitz killer for so long, but the Chiefs screen game is still mm-hmm. really good. They have answers for the blitz. And so I think for Fangio, um, he's going to really have to mix up his pressures. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he mixes in some drop eight, you know, and just to like mess with him and see what happens. But this is like, I, I mean, he is like one of those contestants on chopped when you're just given like gummy bears and broccoli and told to make an entree. Like that's what big Fangio set up. Is this weekend. Um, I do have one follow-up. So I, this two part question guys, and I want your reaction first. So what do you think about the Eagles pass defense? First reaction. They're, they're, bad. <laughs> they're bad. Okay. Not, not good. So now if I were to tell you <laughs> the second part question, okay. now that we have it established that okay. they're a really bad pass mm-hmm. defense. Patrick Mahomes threw for 177 yards against that defense in November. That's bad. I don't. They weren't as bad. They weren't, they as, weren't bad. as bad. Don't back add then. context to my trap. They weren't as bad back then. And <laughs> <laughs> to the point that I made a moment ago, they still got the guys up front. Um, I'd love to see what his pressure numbers were in that situation. But yeah, they're. So what's the point that you're making? What's the trap? Supposed the, to trap? I'm just saying that the Chiefs' offense is really bad. You're just saying the Chiefs' okay, offense Okay, but the, sucks. your original, you you understand yeah. that your original question was which team was more likely to lose. So by us presenting, maybe how they'll bad both they lose. Were. Maybe my take is they'll both lose. <laughs> it's not. I think the Chiefs wow. are going to win. That's a good point. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, there's a bit of a logical <laughs> foul, a flaw in your I argument. like that you created a trap that we all got stuck in I, together. Oh we just all gosh. fell into this bear trap. Good job. Um, like a um, Chinese finger <laughs> trap yeah. of takes from Charlie. Um, all right, let's move on before I embarrass Please myself do. anymore. Um, the Cowboys are playing the Packers this weekend. Dak Prescott yeah. certainly going to be in near the top of the MVP finishers. He's been excellent this year. But what's interesting about this game also is Jordan Love has been a vastly different player in the second half of the season, and he's been excellent by pretty much every metric down the stretch. And I want to ask you guys, how wide is the gap between the QBs this weekend? So there's the experience gap. Mm -hmm. That's extremely wide. I mean, the question is good. Jordan Love, so Jordan Love, I've done Jordan Love cramming the last few weeks because Early in the season, I was like, hey, man, we don't have to worry about the Packers. They're not going to be a team that I have to deep dive on at any point. So I catch a game here, catch a game there. Jordan Love at Thanksgiving was like, oh, damn. Okay. And so then you start watching. It was like, he's as good as anybody in football right now. So it's like saying the talent gap, like the physical ability, throwing accuracy, decision-making on any given weekend, he can be as good as Dak Prescott. But I do think that there is some value in the experience and the consistency that Dak Prescott has and the CD lamb of it. 
that helps a lot too. Mm-hmm. Because while yeah. Jordan Love has a lot of really good, talented young receivers, some of them healthy, some of them not, he don't got a guy that is on the level of CD or on the level that CD Lamb has been on for much of this season. Where all right, we got a problem. Forget this middle of the field seem to to the tight end. I've been doing. Let me throw a quick screen to CD, who's gonna make something happen. He also has to play the Cowboys <laughs> defense and Dak gets to play yes. the Packers defense. Uh, if you switch sides, I might, I would take the Packers. Well, that's oh, the Packers have the Cowboys defense. So maybe, yeah. But my point is that when we're talking about these quarterbacks, the matchup is just so much more favorable for Dak, not just because the, the Packers defense stinks, but they stink in the ways that he is awesome at, like throwing over the middle of the field, slants, all of it, you know? Uh, crossers and I, I don't think that there's an answer for CD Lamb on that roster. Um, I have absolutely loved, no pun intended, watching Jordan Love this season, and he's he's probably like my favorite. I call him my league pass quarterback because he's the guy I'll just turn on. Yeah. Like it's just fun to watch him. He looks like he's having fun. Um, but I think like you know, as good as these young skill players have been, um. There isn't a CD Lamb in the mix, and so it, it it's harder to predict whether or not they'll be able to exploit the the weaknesses on the Cowboys' defenses, which are much more. Pass quarterback higher on your list, CJ Stroud or Jordan Love, because I feel like those are the guys that when when you watch yeah, them, I, I, I get a it's little hard. tingle. It's like there's it's high high reward, and I'm never like set <laughs> Dak pre- passed that a long time ago because of the pressure on Dak. Where when you're watching Dak, it's like anxiety inducing, and I feel <laughs> the same way about Lamar Jackson at this point. Where it's like, come no, on, Lamar is a great league pass quarterback. No, he's a great league pa- pass quarterback for you because you did not have invested in him that <laughs> he was the best quarterback in the draft. And when I made that that um projection, I also said that Nathaniel Hackett was a talented young. Uh, Office of coordinator Mina knows about this from a text conversation. I'm not proud of it. We now we we did yeah. our story from 2018, and we were gonna dime oh, out I on that wait. about headline. Lamar Jackson could change the league. 2018. <laughs> we're bring that back mm-hmm. for the Super Bowl uh, if they make it. Uh, that's a good question. They're both really fun. They're really different too. Not really different, but they are. Um, CJ Stroud is more of he's yeah. more like Dak than Love, right? He's more of the technician slice you up from the pocket. Jordan Love is great from the pocket, but he's more of the like Aaron trick Rogers. shot artist. Um, yeah. Did you Aaron Rodgers yeah. vibes. Young Aaron Rodgers. I, I also think that um, we got to get him out of Green Bay. Got to get him out of Green Bay. Why? Because quarterbacks who are great quarterbacks in Green Bay for an extended period of time, I don't uh, know what yeah. happens when they get out of Green Bay. They start uh, acting weird. They start acting weird. Every interview I see with him, he is the most 24-year-old Aww, dude ever, and it's cute. delightful. Uh, you know about the silly body. We talked about that, right? Uh-uh, the silly that? body. His, um, they, the, the Packers, some account, I think it was maybe their official account, they did like interviews with the wives and girlfriends of players, and they asked him, what's your partner's beige flag? And Jordan Love's girlfriend, who seems lovely, revealed that he calls getting tickled having <laughs> silly body. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> So uh, the Packers player all made silly body T-shirts. Oh, that's so this cute. Is so oh, funny. Man. I've been using it when I tickle uh, Nino. I'm like, silly body, silly that's body. That's cute. I love it. It's my baby, to be clear. I'm going to silly body my kids tonight. <laughs> and they're going to think I'm so it's weird because my kids, man. my youngest is almost eight now. 
You're like, why are you tickling me? I'm 13. Get off of me. <laughs> um, I hate being right, tickled. Last playoff question. Um, Browns and the Rams. They're two of the trendiest teams going to the playoffs that people think, that think could make a run. And, and I don't even know if these teams will win their first playoff game. But in theory, which team do you think has a better chance of winning multiple playoff games going on a run? The Browns or the Rams? What do you think, Mina? Uh, I think it's all in the phrasing of your question because I think the Browns are more likely to win this weekend, but after this weekend, I would tip it to the Rams. If they can get past the Lions, they strike me as the team more likely to make a run because of the offense and the quarterback. I think from a matchup perspective, though, like there's a reason why Cleveland is favored against Houston. They have a lot of advantages yeah. in this game. I think you nailed it exactly, and I think that I would also like Houston a lot more if they didn't have to go up against the Browns. I know they weren't in this conversation, but if they didn't have to go up against the yeah. Browns, I would have a realistic consideration about Houston making a deeper run than people expect because how good C.J. Stroud is against everything other than what the Browns do a lot of. So if he can get past this weekend, I like it. And I do really like the Browns to win this weekend, which is the first step to going on a big run. And they have a great defense. And it, it feels like their offense is a lot relying on how good the hands are of the opposing defense. So if they could get into a round where the DBs start batting them things down that Joe is going to throw at them, because he's going to throw them at them. That's fine. He's a, a risk-taking quarterback. That's, if they start yeah. slapping them things down, then I like their chances of making a run. That's the thing. With uh, with Flacco, it feels like the game is gonna come. Maybe it's this weekend. Maybe it's in two weeks. Maybe it's in three weeks where he he throws a bunch of interceptions. Now, to be clear, yeah. Stafford does that too. But I think I think of them so. slightly differently in that I think, and this is like, it does not feel all that analytical. But from my watching of both of those quarterbacks, <laughs> Joe throws them every game, mm. whether they catch yeah. him or not. Yeah, that's, whether that's they catch him or yeah. not is the question. Or how closely, how easy that yeah. he throws him. Like, that varies. But this version of Joe Flacco, yeah. every single game, people have gotten chances. Matthew Stafford, slightly different. I look up one game, Matthew Stafford, I'm like, ooh, I see you young Joe Montana. Then I look at another one, it's like, oh, Jameis out there. I see you, Jameis. Yeah, yeah. I have more yeah. faith in him. But, but, man, the Browns' defense is so much better. Agree, because so we know better. that he can have a clean game. Um, uh, yeah, he can have. Oh, yeah, he won the Super Bowl. I, I see you looking at me like I'm stupid, but Flacco could have a clean game. He won the Super Bowl too. Yeah. He had it's a whole possible. clean. Yeah. Could have. He could have a clean game. Yeah. I don't think he we'll had a, have two a clean, clean games. run I to think the that's Super Bowl. Ultimately, what this one hundred years ago. I mean, there's the difference to me with the Brown side of it is that like how clean of a game does Flacco necessarily have to have? This is right, another one. Like, defense. yeah, what if they if they get into the twenties points wise, they're going to be in any game, any game. Well. I mean, Dominique and I were talking about this from a matchup perspective. Dominique made the observation to me that C.J. Stroud was less effective against man That's coverage. Really, the offense stop, less effective. Stop right here, my dog and, Mina. And I was my dog Mina. I love her so much. <laughs> I was like, bro, Dominique, it's crazy that you say that. <laughs> yeah. I just so, had, I so sent him this Mina. stat that I had about yeah. how uh, C.J. Stroud has been the best quarterback <laughs> in football against zone in 27. Mina, Mina said man. I brought it to her attention and she had already. So I texted it to her and then I said it on the show and she showed me her notes where she had observed the exact same thing. This is but, our, our text conversations are wildly different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our text conversations consist mostly of like gossip and shit talk, whereas me and Mina deep dive. That's right. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> I'm just chumming the waters with.
yeah. <laughs> something will stay. <laughs> we all need that. Uh, we all need that in our lives. All right. Should we, should we talk to Spencer? Talk some Saban? I love Spence. I love Good. you too, Mina. Thank you so much. Give um, Nino a little silly body on behalf of all of us. That sounds creepy. Never mind. <laughs> Just love your, love your baby. Bye, Mina. <laughs> Have a fun time this weekend. Bye. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical Fruit finished, shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small, and when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com DF today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot DF. All right, Spencer. So I have a shirt that says me and you, your mama and your cousin, too. It is uh, from Elevator, Outcast Elevators. And yes. I, so the song, my, my daughter really likes music and she listens to some old music like that. And she was singing it. And I noticed that she didn't know what they were rolling on. And then I also, mm-hmm. I went to tell her what they were rolling on and I was like, Actually, I just make a sound. I'm not quite sure what they're rolling on. So, Spencer, you, I will put you to the test right at this moment. In elevators, what are they rolling mm-hmm. on? Vogue. <laughs> Vogue, baby. <laughs> Man, it's outstanding. I thought, I, I know I can't stump you on a, uh, on a college football question. And I feel like, honestly, my reaction to that, people are going to judge me more than they are going to be happy for you. They're going to be like, how did you not know? Hold up, Charlie, don't make that face. You knew it was Vogue's? No, they aren't going to judge you for it. Okay. No, I'm not going to judge anybody for that because, uh, one, when it comes to Southern rap, there is a powerful accent and sort of inflecting everything. So maybe maybe you didn't know. Like, for instance, if you go to Big Pimpin', I challenge anybody to correctly tell me what Pimp C is saying without looking at the genius lyrics. Now, I have looked them up so many times, I cannot tell you in truth that I knew them on the first listen. I'm, I'm pretty sure I didn't. That's mm-hmm. some deep Texas that he's he's throwing out well, there. That was one for the money and now two for Charlie. All right, Charlie, what do you want to talk about? I, I mean, we yeah. have Spencer all here. Yeah. The greatest college football coach of all time announced Ooh. his retirement on Wednesday, and that's Nick Saban. And I, I mean, there's so many layers to Saban. There's Saban, the football coach. There's Saban, 
the icon they're saving saving the the college football character. Um, this is incredibly broad, but what is the most interesting part of Nick Saban to you guys? Maybe maybe I should go first because I feel like Spencer yeah. is going to trump me. So I'll go ahead and say the most interesting part for me for Nick Saban, I believe, is hmm. It seems I'm trying to find a better word than the success. So like reading over all of his career now, you see how he's gone everywhere and he's had success in a bunch of different places, presumably in a bunch of different ways. And I think it's his ability to evolve has been like the thing that sticks out in my mind. Whereas we've seen teams, coaches, players, organizations, uh, programs pop up across a bunch of different sports. It's so, so rare to have someone be able to evolve and evolve and then go out on top. And I love, not that I'm a Nick Saban like, fan or Alabama fan, I love that he was able to get this win against Kirby Smart just before he walks out the door because everyone else, as it seems like Bill Belichick is switching teams and – just about every other player and coach, eventually, you have to be so obsessed with this stuff that you don't walk away from it. You have to get thrown out. And for somebody who's won, what is it, seven national championships across a bunch of different styles of play, offensively at least, uh, to knock off the incumbent, which Georgia is obviously next in line to be the the predominant uh, college football power to knock them off one last time and say, you ain't better than me now leave and say, nah, nah, you can't get me. It just made me a little bit happy. <laughs> yeah. Just reminding everybody yep. who's dad one last, one last fight that dad <laughs> wins. That's I love that. Now the thing I keep thinking about and the thing I wrote about for channel six today was this it's, one thing to look at him internally, if you're an Alabama fan, because typically when we look at a coach, we look at him from inside out. We go, okay, well, what did they do in their program? And then what, you know, how did that move out? I like to look at him as like his impact. And I mean that literally, like as something that hit college football and then just laid waste to an entire swath of the sport. It's not as if his victory and his dominance at Alabama was his alone in terms of impact. That man caused so many things to happen downstream that you not don't really realize until you start to think about it. For instance, in 2008, that's really Alabama's like, we're back and y'all are in trouble <laughs> season. All right. They don't win a title. They don't even win an SEC championship. But what happens that year? They destroy number nine Clemson in their opener. I mean, mangle them. To the point where Tommy Bowden never recovers. He never coaches a game after that season, by the way. Knocked him out <laughs> the league. Him. Right? They knocked Georgia off of any kind of path upward with a devastating. That was the that was the blackout where, if you'll remember, Bama's strength coach comes out and says they're wearing black because they're going to a funeral. Like big, bad talk. That sort of stunts Georgia's growth and takes a lot of sort of their recruiting mojo and puts it on Bama's side. Then you go down the list and you keep thinking further. Who's the guy who gets hired at Clemson after it becomes all too apparent that Tommy Bowden isn't just not going to get the job done. He's going to get obliterated. It's Dabo Swinney, right? So these little knockoff effects of, of, of what we do, who does he hire as a reclamation project after his disgraced departure from USC? He hires Lane Kiffin. 
and not only guarantees the success of the program moving forward by embracing a more sort of contemporary, modern approach to offense and guaranteeing them a second round of championships. You know, your second round of championships, not your first, right? Michigan fans are looking at us like, it took us nine years to get one. It took us nine years to get one. Right, then they're going to lose their coach. No, 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 no. All Nick Saban did was take that guy and turn him into Ole Miss's most successful head coach, right? The only guy to ever win 11 games at Ole Miss was a guy that Nick Saban picked off the garbage pile. And that's in their league. It's not like he went to Oregon, right? Uh, Steve Sarkeesian, he's brought Texas back. That's another person <laughs> out that Nick Saban His said. His coaching hey, tree is the most it's, ridiculous it's, it's, coaching tree <laughs> It's insane. He made his own problems and his own solutions at the same time by taking a generation of coaches and either rehabbing them or bringing them to prominence and getting them gigs. It is bonkers. We got one here in Maryland. The impact Mike Loxley, that he's had. who uh, was a uh, yeah. offensive coordinator down there. Yeah, his impact is is absurd. And the impact or the uh, you kind of explaining the metaphorical like uh, connection between like actual physical impact you're right it kind of feels like that and I, I'm often reminded of how we think about college football is so regional and there's no advantage that Alabama has other than history I guess for why they should mm-hmm. like if you look around all of college football there's a lot better places and right now Georgia like that seems right that seems right. Like mm-hmm. Georgia should be yeah. great at football. Texas should be great at, fo- at football. Uh, mm-hmm. Somebody out in LA, USC should be great at, or UCLA. So one of them should be great at football because of the re- mm-hmm. recruiting base that they have. Alabama's in the South, but LSU was the place where he first won his first championship. And that was the place where if he had decided, or if you were to predict where you could build a power you would have thought it was at LSU, given all of the talent that's in that area. But he was like, nah, I'm going to go over here where Bear did it and somehow go to the place where one of the best coaches of all time in college sports was and go be better than him <laughs> in that spot. Yeah, it's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, we got to remember, by the way, at LSU, like we're, we're, we're taking all of the Bama resume into account because it's the most recent and the most spectacular. The best job he did in a short span of time was LSU because mm-hmm. he changed who yeah. they were. This is the thing that Saban has done at at least two schools. And maybe if we went back and looked at Michigan State, I imagine that's a pretty drastic change there too. At LSU, they didn't get the talented black athletes in Louisiana as their first choice. That was a cultural change that Nick Saban affected, right? That he came in and said, Y'all are missing everybody because they don't feel comfortable here. They don't feel loved. That changed overnight when he got there. Marcus yeah. Spears will talk about that all day. It is it from what he accomplished there and taking this place, which LSU was always talented, but they were always very disorganized. That's not a problem in Alabama. Alabama, if you want to know what they have, you say, well, it's in it's in Tuscaloosa. Like, what do they have? They yeah. want it. They want it, and that's the thing that the entire state hangs on, right? Um, realistically, Alabama and Mississippi both should have one school. They have two each, <laughs> yeah, right? So there's this constant squabble over resources. Alabama has managed to come out on top because, one, it is the flagship power center of the university. That's where all of your lawyers, legislators, future country club barons, <laughs> they, they end up at least spending some time in Tuscaloosa because – where you get to meet and greet and know people and where do you all meet and where's the big party it's at the football game and who do we all root for the tide that's why it's very organized very focused but what he did at lsu to me 
was in a short span of time, at least far more difficult. And it had a lasting impact because in the 21st century, they've experienced um, as much or more success in just this short span of time based on what he accomplished there than they had in, you know, the 40 years. Through all this, like you brought up the racial dynamics in there. And that's something that I think Nick Saban is not going to be on the top three lines of his resume, but it's something that his ability, I think, to evolve schematically along with his ability to evolve Mm -hmm. with the changing dynamics of football have been impressive to me because we don't think, and this is for the NFL and college, they're professional sports and we don't think about them as businesses, but they are businesses. And those businesses, when the rules change, when certain dynamics change in order to succeed, the business that's going to succeed could be an entirely new business. And that's like the, the foundation of like disruption theory and all that is like the environment has changed and a smaller upstart is more well positioned to capitalize on this new environment. And normally the big juggernauts have already built up such infrastructure to win in the old way that they can't survive in the new way. And it's a simple thing that we don't think about very much, but to be able to remake a big, powerful, successful, Mm -hmm. dominant machine and while not taking a dip with the same person at top is crazy Mm -hmm. it's so hard to do and you're doing it without the same employees because people are always taking your coaches and your players are on their way out they're only coming there for some of them three years some of them four or five years it's just really really hard i know how much they're paying him it's worth it and Mm -hmm. and more and i'm sure he won't spend it all in his lifetime but it sure seems if you're grading on the difficulty scale what he's accomplished you could argue is more impressive than just about any coach at any level at any time yeah and you could pull on any number of threads and get something really interesting but i think communication is the most important element of his skill set. And I mean that from one, a teaching perspective, watch any of the highlight videos where he's explaining a play, that man comes to life. If you think he's dour, if you think he's this kind of like perpetual grump, I I think you're partially right. But at the same time, if you watch him explain a play, nails. Even if you don't uh, understand all of the terminology he uses and understand all of the terminology you hear a defensive coach speak at any point, it's 60 to 70% his verbiage, right? Like sniffer, rat, uh, all of these, you know, catch, all of these like seemingly obscure terms. You start speaking that language to defensive people, they get it. The thing that amazes me, and to go back to the, the, the like bullet point on his resume where, you know, he really managed to reach out to everyone and make the program belong to everyone. He can fit in in any situation. Yeah. And I think that comes from, you know, a determined ability to communicate. And I don't think that's natural. That makes it even more amazing to me that he is not a natural Mac Brown, you know, hey, how's your <laughs> grandmother kind of guy. No, he's the guy who gets five pages on your grandma, learns all about her, and then comes in and goes, I like your tulips. Here, you're pretty proud of them, right? Because he saw it on a scouting yeah. report. It's a man who made a routine out of scouting people. Which is also like another layer. There's a story Kevin Van Valkenburg did on ESPN.com where he talks about bringing in a motivational speaker. And the motivational speaker says something that I don't think Nick was real happy to hear. This is at LSU. And he walks in and this guy says, you know, really an important part of getting to the goal together is appreciating each other. It's appreciating each other. And you could just, from the way he looks, he's just not, he's not real happy about this. There's a silence afterwards. And Saban finally says, well, uh, 
Guess I better start appreciating you. <laughs> that's that's somebody who didn't want to do it, but knows that if somebody says it's going to make the team better, he just made it part of the that's code. Yeah. He just put I mean, it in the system. He is an incredibly... Uh, Incredibly old is the wrong word, but he has been around for a long time. And he was one of the one yep. of the first coaches to be like outspoken about changing the way that compensation works and mm -hmm. for the for the players. Mm -hmm. Like that that to me is impressive. And Nick Saban strikes me as someone the way that you explain him and the success that we've had. I think there are some people who are born to be coaches. And while Nick Saban's success would suggest that he was born to be a coach, no. He was just gonna whatever it was whatever job it was gonna be. He was gonna commit himself to mm -hmm. it to an unhealthy degree, and even like put him improve in the ways that are, are not natural to him. Because you're right, he doesn't strike you as like someone who wants to be social. But part of being a successful college football coach is mm -hmm. recruiting, and you better learn a little bit about everything so you can be comfortable in all scenarios. It's a good uh, having the Belichick and Saban thing happen around the same time is a real good juxtaposition because Nick Saban might have grown up to be Bill Belichick if he was in a different situation. But I'm not sure that Bill Belichick had it in him to do what Nick Saban had done. No, full agree. I think there is an astonishing difference between the two, and it is that Bill Belichick in the end had, very had a very difficult time replacing mm -hmm. his talent. He had a very difficult time replacing the guys around him who he trusted. And I think in the end, he didn't trust them to do their jobs. I think he really, you know, over, I think he leaned on them or he didn't lean on them and really sort of began taking on more and more of the responsibilities. You know, at the end, it was, who's the offensive coordinator? Bill, who is the defensive coordinator? It's Bill. I just tell these two guys to do whatever I want them to do. And that's their job. That was very much not bringing not in Nick. the same coaches, cycling the same coaches through again, very much not Nick. Mm -hmm. Nick is like, oh, a coach that has had success somewhere else is available. Bring him in. What can he teach us? What can we learn from? Mm -hmm. We're going to milk him dry and also set him up to go be a problem for us later somewhere else. It just it, that is that is, I think, when you look at the two of them, um, that is one key difference. That dude never stopped bringing talent, good talent into the coaching staff, and it's one of the reasons, if not the reason, that they were able to sustain their success for so long. <sighs> that was well, fun. One final question. Just do you view this as an as a exclamation point on a period of college football? Because or college sports, actually, because it's been reported that he was sort of unhappy with the fact that you have to you know, recruit your own roster every single year. There's so much turnover. We're going to power conferences where it's going to be harder, in theory, to win national championships, even though it's easier to make the playoff. Do you see this as the end of this style of college coach, this level of Damas, this type of dynasties with Nick Saban gone? Yeah, I mean, it's the end of it's the end of the style of coach that's mm -hmm. Nick Saban. That's it. Like I don't, I'm not going to take anything general because you can't make generalizations in Nick Saban's case because that is the only one. This is the mistake that people made when they try to hire too many of his assistants or just take a guy because he was on staff. If you want that magic, it's in one. Yeah, I would say that if Nick Saban wanted to, he could convert himself into the type of coach that could survive and not survive, could thrive yeah. in the new climate. He don't want to. So uh, to your point, yeah, it's not the end of anything because there was only one. There weren't other ones out there like Nick Saban who had this ability because, as we mentioned several times, he's changed his style a number of times to fit the, the current structure of the business or the competitive landscape. So, yeah, I do think that we are in a point right now, it seems like for the past three or four years. An excess of college sports dignitaries.
Yeah, no, yeah. Not, not even yeah. about that, but the last three or four years until the next, the coming three or four years feels like a volatile, transformational, like transitional period in college sports. What it's going to be after this, I'm not sure. But I don't think that we're at a settled point, and I think Nick Saban wasn't trying to stay and find out. I had to ask that question because otherwise I was just AJ Hawking that whole segment. <laughs> so you just had to ask a question. Yeah, that's right. I, so that is not just you, just your face on just, the side. Just, couldn't just, be Hawking. I just, mean, just just pipe right, just pipe right in with two words that could derail <laughs> the whole thing, right? Like game of trails, huh? Uh, I mean, to be fair, you're not nearly as interesting to look at. Which, it's a hundred percent. It's not a compliment or an insult. Just a statement of fact. Put a bookcase behind me. <laughs> oh, oh. Last thing before I let you go, I am currently in search of a podcast podcast beef because it seems <laughs> like that's what's popping in the industry um would you and your compadres be interested in a podcast beef oh we're terrible oh, at it. No. Damn it. like we're so bad at so it so if i no, just start shooting we're, shots we're like, at y'all you're not gonna shoot back no no and and you you think that's because we're like no we're gonna focus on <laughs> no. what we do right we're just gonna let the haters run off our back i'm gonna let you out on a secret dominique we'll forget <laughs> it 10 minutes after you did it we'll get distracted by something shiny It'll just like another fly on the wall will buzz and we'll just smack at that instead. So we're terrible. Tell Holly I said that the citrus bowl doesn't matter. And that's all. I'll just, I'll let that sit there for a little bit. And also Florida will never be back. They will never be back. Beat it, Spencer. You can't be more pessimistic about Florida than me. See, that's the trick. That's the trick. I'm like, no, I'm going to die. We're never going to see another championship. Hopefully Holly bites. All right. Thanks, Spencer. All right. Later. All right, next up, Bo Money Jones. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, welcome in, my man, Bomani Jones. I appreciate you. I just got off of your fine show, as everybody knows. The right time, Bomani Jones. Go download that, rate it, review it, share it with a friend. After you rate, review mine, and share it with a friend. We have some good conversations that only, they always start at sports. They go a bunch of different places, Cat Williams and a few other things. But I want to bring it back to uh, the coaching situation because we are on key card week, as you would call it, key card Monday. You don't call it Black Monday. Everybody else nah, calls Black nah, Monday. No, we ain't, we ain't do nothing to deserve that. 
<laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's also like, yeah, you're doing favors for these people. Get them up out of there. You got to go. <laughs> it, but it, it don't feel like Black Monday because the Black people don't never get the opportunities that uh, we would expect them to get. Yeah, but However, Black Monday would be a day where nobody got hired. <laughs> <laughs> that is Black Monday. However, it is a sham season. Rooney rule, people getting hired everywhere. I guess the point about, or the thing about that that I wanted to to chop up with you is, is there some value to it? Because I find that I'd be annoyed if I knew I was just getting rolled out there because there are people that I know have no chance of getting jobs that are getting interviews right now. And even if I knew I was going to get the job, I've done it before. I'm going to go on that interview and I guess the assumption is it's the experience or at least the high profile nature of it helps raise the profile of these coaches. You think it's worth doing? I don't think it's worth doing if you're like Leslie Frazier, right? They're not giving your old <laughs> that job. You know what I mean? Like, like you just, you just doing them a solid if you decide to go do it. Like, I don't think it's worth it if you're Leslie Frazier. Everybody that's seen your movies, they know whether they are or not feeling you in that way. And let's be honest, we all know they're not feeling you in that way. If you are Brian Johnson of the Eagles, let's call it Thomas Brown. Um, if you're Raheem Morris at this point, who I just think continually gets overlooked in a way that's actually a little disturbing, then I think you do have a chance. At the very least, you get to put your face out there. And if it isn't for a head coach job or whatever it is, there's somebody that knows you that might go to a different place, may land somewhere. Like, I think you got, if, if you ever go have a chance, then you should go ahead and do it. But if you know your window is passed, like that's, I, I would make an argument that to satisfy your Rooney Rule qualification, maybe they need to put an age thing in there. Like, you can't call nobody over 50 <laughs> to satisfy the Rooney Rule requirement. If you want to call them in for an interview, that's fine. But you got to call some whippersnapper somewhere in order to get it done. Well, I mean, uh, they they gave it to, to my man in Houston that time. Yeah, but that's, that's <laughs> that was – they couldn't get that job away. I said something about D'Amico Ryan's and how should be coaching the year. Because in three straight hiring cycles, they had to hire a black dude. And they're like, oh, so it's it's bad to hire black people. Sometimes, yes. But, yeah. but, but the bottom line point is they couldn't get that job away. They would not, they wouldn't asking no self-respected white man that had a resume to take that job. They was going to ask Josh McCown to take that job. He did not have a resume. But otherwise, they would not dare embarrass themselves asking a good, hardworking white man to come deal with that. <laughs> they would never go do that, right? D'Amico turned that into something. What is the blackest job available? Because I don't know if people Carolina. follow this show. We've had this conversation. <laughs> Carolina, though, that job right there stinks. That boy Thomas needs to ask himself a real question before they come in his office and be like, hey, man, how'd you like to move down the hall? Ooh, ooh, ooh. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So the Leslie Frazier one is interesting because you're right. They're not going to give it to him because, in case people don't know, Leslie Frazier went on an interview for Los Angeles Chargers. They got. A young quarterback in Justin Herbert. Oh, they Herbert got it out the way early. Yeah, a lot of people like, oh, you know what that mean? That mean Harbaugh <laughs> next. They got their sights on a Harbaugh. <laughs> they don't want to let him leave the building. So they're like, let's get this Rooney rule, this box checked. But uh, that's the situation there. And they're not going to give it to him. He's a defensive coach. And he also, like you said, he's seen his movies. So they wanted to go ahead and get that taken care of. But you're right. The Carolina situation seems like a situation where anybody with some real options or anybody who wants to have a future in coaching <laughs> They're not gonna go down there. This this is a this is uh a, a cash in. This is a situation like, all right, y'all just gonna have to give me a lot of money. I'm gonna go down here. It's gonna be a terrible few months because I may not make it a whole year because yep. they didn't even let this last guy make it a whole year. 
Gonna go get that money and move on. Go get that pension bump. <laughs> That's it. Um, but the other thing that popped in my head was the Giants situation. So Brian Dayball, <laughs> coach, <laughs> you're already laughing. For those who don't know, Wink Martindale, defensive coordinator, very aggressive play caller, but generally seemingly a liked guy around the league, a pretty even-killed guy. Brian Dayball, fiery coach. So Brian Dayball, apparently Wink Martindale and his kind of coaching staff, the people on his side of the ball, defensive side, had a small little fiefdom inside that didn't necessarily respect Brian Dayball. So the ownership did not want to move on from Dayball. So they didn't move or didn't want to move on from Martindale. So Dayball's like, fine, we won't move on from Martindale. But I'm getting rid of all your boys, all your partners. Hired yeah, we, two brothers. Yep. <laughs> I mean, they were Wilkins. I mean, brothers in the <laughs> yeah, sense yeah, yeah, that they yeah. was. Yeah. Well, are they brothers too? No, they are. They are. I, I believe that they. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't know that answer, honestly. I'm pretty I mean, sure it that. Like, it like Kevin Wilkins or something like that? Yeah, that, that sounds oh, sound like it's. It's Wilkins. It's worth a Google. It's worth a Google. Well, they're related. I know that. Yeah, I know. I, know. I know that they were related, but I was yeah. I was wondering if they was brothers and they was brothers. I don't know how closely related they are to us. Oh no, 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 no! Couldn't yeah. be, couldn't be farther. Couldn't <laughs> be farther. They are brothers to each other, and that's where it stops. I, I um so early in doing this media stuff, I would often like make parallels to like normal jobs, and something you said a while ago stood out in my head, and that reminded me of it is like this ain't a normal job because this man wink he still got money on his contract went and snapped on the head man in charge and left and at this point when we are recording this they still ain't heard from him yet and they waiting to hear from him like no 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 oh no 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 they got they got back they 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 compromised they 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 broke her to peace They don't owe him his $3 million, but he could go find a job because they was about to be staring at each other. And I got to be honest, man. I thought Wink had more gangster in him than that. Y'all was going to – I was just going to sit here just like this. <laughs> I got all day long, baby. I got all day long. And somebody said to my bitch, go show up to work and read the newspaper. But I'm going to show up to work. That um, Wink Martindale situation, though, is – he's a good coach. But I think – the best place for Wink Martindale is a place like Giants, and that's why they moved on from him in, in uh, Baltimore, in part because Wink's style of defense, and maybe it would adjust if he had a different set of players, but his style of defense is volatility. It's what Brian Flores <laughs> is doing up there with the Vikings now. That's what you do when you ain't got the guys. And I'm not sure that there's a, a championship-level defense that wants to bring Wink in unless they got some corners because he's going to put some pressure on his corners, man. Yo, and I imagine it's got to be fun, though. Like, what we about to do? We about to get it. Oh, yeah. No, that's what to, we to do. play in that, it's great. <laughs> but That's right, because you, you played in that. Who was the coordinator yeah. when y'all were playing like that? Uh, it wasn't even the coordinator that was aggressive. It was Larry Coyer. But it was something that came to be. So my rookie year in Denver, we did a bunch of aggressive, crazy zero blitz in just about every third down. And it was our answer to the fact that uh, we didn't have uh, a great pass rush. He was like, all right, we don't got to break pass rush. We're going to put some pressure on him. It's going to be high volatility. But as a DB, like, I love that. Like, all right, it's going to be quick or it's going to be deep. I can run. So as long as I can tackle these short passes, we're going to be good to go. But as an offense, when you out there, 
Uh, you don't love seeing that because you're <laughs> we gonna give some up i'm just say that we gonna give some up because <laughs> everybody ain't gonna make all them tackles <laughs> they're gonna be some some trap plays that get to the second level well, there's no second level when you are doing zero blitz that's great there's point. one level <laughs> the second level is the end zone that's why they say level two the goal line they're thinking the exact same thing yeah, but there aren't very many jobs where you can act like that and still keep it or or negotiate a peaceful exit, which is what he did. Yes. I appreciate you, brother. Thanks for spending the time with me. All right, Bomani, again, check him out the right time. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.